Welcome to Podcast Hackers, the show for podcasters by podcasters. Here, each episode, you'll hear from the best and brightest podcasters and learn how they're growing their audience, monetizing their shows, and making an impact through podcasting. And now, your host, Craig Hewitt. All right, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Hackers. Today, we have Jason Chicola on. So Jason is... Uh, is the, the CEO of Rev.com and Temi, uh, which are both uh, different kind of flavors of transcription services. So I think anybody that's listening to this show has heard of Rev, and many of us have probably used it. Uh, I think it's a fat, fantastic kind of on-demand transcription service. And then Temi uh, was introduced, golly, about a year ago, and you can correct me on that for sure, Jason, but is a, an automated transcription service. So depending on people's budgets and needs, the two different different versions of your service uh, kind of serve different purposes for, for your users. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Our mission as a company is to create millions of from home jobs. That's where we started. Um, and what we found is that there's a huge market need for speech to text. And we provide a, a range of services um, using you know, humans and machines. And they've been really popular with a lot of sectors, including the podcast community. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so we were chatting a bit before uh, we started recording here, and you mentioned that the podcasters actually make up kind of a minority of your total book of business. So I can imagine things like meeting transcripts and courtroom, or maybe courtroom have their special thing, or medical transcriptions. Uh, what what kind of customers do you have other than podcasters, just so people can get a feel for what you guys do? Yeah, it really runs the gamut. Um, you hit on a couple of them. If I was to you know, lay out the most common use cases, uh, we have a lot of reporters that have interviews with uh, subjects for articles, market research firms that do focus groups. We have churches that transcribe sermons. Uh, we have a lot of video production folks that they have a lot of raw footage. They want to make a shorter video, and the transcript helps them in the editing process. Uh, we have meetings, as you said. I mean, it really runs the gamut. I would say that anybody that is building a social media presence that is publishing content will quickly realize that they want to have a podcast, a blog, uh, other resources. And so transcription allows you to you know, repurpose content, you know, like audio that you have. Uh, can be used in a lot of ways, and and uh, podcasting uh, podcasters like it for that reason. Um, I said those those are among the biggest segments. We also have some others beyond transcription that are related, um, most notably uh, closed captioning of videos. So if you watch a movie on Netflix or Amazon and you flip on the captions, well, some human being had to work to make that possible, and actually. Um, we've done a substantial number of captions in the last few years for um, a lot of video you know, publishers, large and small. So if you watched a bunch of movies on Netflix and Amazon, very likely some of those were captioned by us. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so kind of specific to podcasters, I mean, I have in my mind the the reason that I would transcribe on my podcast audio um, but I would, I'm sure there's a lot of ways and reasons that I'm missing. What are some some things you see podcasters do with transcriptions uh, that, that you guys handle? Um, sure. There's probably three or four uh, of the most common reasons um, that we see and then a few of the less common reasons. So a big one is publishing the, the transcript for SEO purposes. Um, that That's a big one. Obviously, 
every podcaster wants to grow his audience. Every podcaster wants to get in front of more people. And if you just release a podcast um, with, you know, at the extreme with no tags, with no meta description, um, it's hard to find. And it might have great content in there. And so by publishing uh, a transcript, you're giving Google um, really helpful information uh, for its crawlers to help index it in the right places. So you'll probably get more people finding you if you have uh, your, pod, your, your podcast transcribed for SEO purposes. Equally, it has a huge benefit for uh, for your audience, for, for the human being on the other side. So, you know, I love listening to podcasts in the car. I don't read podcasts. Some people like reading podcasts. You know, birds, are, different strokes, different folks. So um, by having transcripts available, um, you certainly give your, uh, your audience um, another avenue for consuming your content. A third reason we see is that some people want to do uh, editing. And the editing process becomes a lot easier when you have a transcript. It's pretty difficult to figure out which part of the audio should I use, when exactly should I use it. Uh, when podcasters or, or actually video publishers um, get a transcript, video publishers and podcasters have a, a very similar workflow in that they often will edit uh, the material to create a more polished final product. Um, so when they do the editing, what they really want is not just a transcript, but a transcript with timestamps. And so what a timestamp does is it tells you when each word was spoken. Um, we actually have a uh, what we call um, an, an editor, which is a, a tool in the browser that displays the transcript where you can click on any word in the transcript and it'll play the audio from that moment. You can highlight a sentence and it'll tell you that this sentence began at a minute 05 and ended at a minute 28. And that functionality is really useful for somebody if they want to edit it. Yeah. Um, those, I think, are, are uh, some of the biggest reasons. Publishing for SEO, publishing for your readers, um, the ability to edit. There are some less common reasons that I hear. Um, one of them, I've heard people say that they like to research their past episodes that, you know, there's podcasters that tell me, hey, I interviewed Joe a year ago, I'm going to interview again today. And before they do that second interview, they want to scan the transcript to remind themselves of what they spoke about so that they can build on that prior discussion and that they not repeat the same questions too much. Sure. Um, and that's more of a quirk for one particular, uh, you know, podcaster, but you can imagine many other use cases like that. Having a tr text, text is an easier medium to use than audio or video if you're trying to rapidly get information um searchability i didn't mention searchability that's another one sure sure yeah and i know that i i would agree that seo and google rankings and even probably to an extent itunes ranking if you place the transcript in the description area of a podcast can really help um and the other one that i have heard that that kind of is important is accessibility so for folks who are hearing impaired for them to be able to read a podcast becomes like really important so i think transcripts for that purpose uh is is pretty pretty helpful frankly the our captioning business is built on foundation of accessibility the captions are required on you know broadcast TV, if you have a sitcom on NBC, it's going to be captioned. And the the primary reason for captions is what you just said, accessibility for for, for folks that um, you know maybe hearing impaired. But as I think has become widely known, there are many many other benefits of captions um, in the media space other than 
people that are hearing impaired, folks with small children want to keep the volume down. It can be hard to, to hear things sometimes with, with accents for certain TV shows. So I, I think there's a whole nother set of reasons that are especially relevant with video content. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, so so I think, you know, with our work uh, at, at Podcast Motor, where we do podcast editing and production for our customers, we do uh, a fair amount of transcripts. And I think it's really good for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned. A lot of our customers use it for SEO purposes, uh, for searchability uh, for their users. So they say, hey, you know, I remember Jason was talking about this in episode 38, but I can't remember the name of it. It's not in the show notes. So you could easily just go through and Google it. And I think for podcasters out there listening who don't do transcripts, those two reasons are kind of reason enough uh, to do transcripts for every episode. It just makes that kind of digital footprint that you create really, really big uh, relative to just, you know, 500 words of show notes or whatever for each each podcast episode. Yeah. And to kind of double click on that, um, one thing that I've noticed both in podcasts and YouTube videos, and I'm, I'm speaking here as a consumer of content, that there's so much competition for every podcast category and for every YouTube category that the, the publishers are moving in the direction of more produced podcasts, which I think has a lot of benefits for the end user. So I'm seeing more and more podcasts that will start the podcast with like a one minute snippet or clip of some really juicy segment of the conversation to entice people to listen. Uh, I'm seeing that. I'm also seeing um, some very popular podcasts that are really highly edited where they just take out a lot of space, take a lot of gaps, and they take take a conversation that might have been 40 minutes, make it 20 minutes, and somehow it doesn't lose that much. Mm-hmm. I think anybody that wants to have a more produced podcast is going to find that doing that editing process without a transcript is probably going to take you hours. And if you have the transcript, it probably takes you a lot less than that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think we've hopefully kind of established that transcripts are really helpful and necessary in a lot of cases, like you're saying, for these highly produced podcasts. For folks who are kind of unsure of which way they should go, so the automated transcripts kind of machine done are becoming more and more popular. I know personally the tech is getting a lot better there. Some people might say it's not quite there for all applications. So what do you say when somebody comes to you and says, hey, should I use Rev or should I use Temi? Should I use you know a person doing it or or kind of a mechanical service? What What is the thought process that people should go through when evaluating which one's right for them? So this is my favorite question, uh, and I'll give you a couple ways to look at it. Um, so for to clarify for your audience, um, we have two services uh, that offer transcription. The human service, which is called Rev, charges a dollar a minute. So a 30-minute podcast would cost $30. And we have a an automated service that's currently called Temi, T-E-M-I.com, that charges one-tenth of that, 10 cents a minute. So a 30-minute episode would cost $3. So from my perspective, if I only had my you know immediate selfish interest at heart, I would say, well, of course you should use Rev because it's better. Um, the reality is, if I put myself in the customer's shoes, I would tell every customer, try Temi first. Try the automated service first because it's way cheaper and it depends on what you're using it for. Um, but podcast audio tends to be some of the best quality audio that you find other than formal studio audio because podcasters have all by now, they all have their Yeti microphone. They all use Skype. They tell the people like me who's on the podcast things like, you know, be in a quiet place, please. And the result is that the audio is pretty clear. People like right now I'm speaking, people want to speak clearly. They try not to do too much 
you know, crosstalk. They want to avoid background noise. All those factors lead to uh, a more accurate transcript. So what I would say is that the Temi service, which we offer, we believe it's the most accurate transcription service around. We encourage everyone to try it and see for themselves. You can try the first file free. If, if you were to interview me at a Starbucks on a street corner with, with cars passing by, we might find the accuracy of the transcript to be on the order of 80%. I would wager that for this conversation, you would see accuracy in the mid-90s percent. If you were to be speaking on your own, single speaker in a sound booth with foam, you'd probably get 98%. So the point is, uh, podcast quality uh, audio tends to result in a great transcript. And if you as the customer want to publish it, uh, we provide you a tool with Temi that allows you to quickly make a couple edits uh, and fix it up. And that's why Temi has become very popular with podcasters. Um, if all you want to do is use it for editing, you don't even need to make the corrections because, yeah, if you're using it for editing, you want to know when did Jason say X, Y, and Z. Even if one word out of 20 is wrong, doesn't really matter. Right. So um, I would absolutely recommend people use the automated service first. Um, if they find they want something more accurate, they should, of course, use Red, which promises accuracy of 99%. I think in practice, when you give us a podcast, the accuracy is going to be closer to 100 than, than, than 99%. And so what we see is that if you think of the most popular podcast out there, This American Life, Gimlet Media, they're using Rev. Uh, when you talk about podcasters that have a you know uh, a more of a niche audience to support their own business, and there's hundreds of thousands of podcasters like this, Temi's a better fit because they're doing it on a tight budget. No, that's great. I mean, I I've kind of looked at both services before, have used both services before, and kind of always had in the back of my mind, you know, when is this one right and when is that one right? So that's a really good breakdown of even just try Temi first. If it doesn't work, then you can go up kind of the food chain to Rev, but uh, I think for most folks who would try it, and I've, I've definitely tried it, that um, you get back really good quality on a lot of the, I'll say normal words, but a lot of the proper nouns, like people's names and places and technology seems to be a tough one, you know, talking about AWS and serverless and all these kind of words that aren't, uh, I don't want to say in the English language, but properly in the English language. Anything has a difficult time with some of those words, and I think an automated service has a little bit more difficult time. But if you kind of go into it knowing that you're going to get back something that you might need to take a look at for five minutes and clean up some of those words, the value is really strong, I think. I think you're you're absolutely right. You nailed it. Um, when a human being does a podcast uh, transcript, part of their job is to do a little bit of research. So if if you say, you know, the CEO of Amazon, Jeff, <coughs> and then you cough, they're going to know to Google and they're going to fill in Bezos instead of that cough, right? Yeah. Um, because they, the human being sees the context, sees what's going on. And um, our customers are regularly shocked, frankly, at how good a job our people can do of reading between the lines and figuring out the names of pharmaceuticals or technology terms or, 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 or things like that. Um, the machine cannot. Uh, that said, um, we are working on giving customers the ability to uh, tell the engine, here's the terms that I'm going to be using in the document that you might, might want to know about. Here's the terms that I always use in my industry because we always use certain uh, acronyms. Um, so I definitely expect that you know a year from now, 
on the same topic, you will see better performance from our speech engine, but it's still going to be a far cry from, from what a human can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Kind of going back to what your kind of mission is at Rev is to to provide uh, kind of work from home jobs for for thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands. Can you talk about the 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 business model and the structure that you guys operate under? Because I I know a little bit about it and I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and um, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a little bit of a rewind to um, you know my prior company where I was a, a early employee. In my mid twenties, I was the third employee at a company that's now called Upwork. And Upwork is a marketplace to hire remote talent. It's often an entrepreneur's best friend. Uh, folks that are starting small businesses uh, tend to really like Upwork because you can go on Upwork.com and hire a programmer, a designer, a data entry person, a salesperson, uh, uh, an admin, anywhere in the world. And there are um, I think I think millions of people that have worked on Upwork. I'm sure that there's probably close to a million working today, a large number. I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but they, the company disclosed a couple of years ago that they had surpassed a billion dollars in annual customer spend. So it's a large platform, and um, they filed to go public uh, just in the last uh, six or eight weeks. Um, so I believe they're supposed to, to uh, price an IPO likely before the end of the year. That, that's according to articles I've seen in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I mentioned this not because this is Rev, but because this is a company that, uh, that I helped to, to, uh, to grow in the early days. And it, it really um, opened up my eyes to this idea that there are great people all over the world um, that, that would love to work from home if they had a good job. And the unfortunate reality is that uh, most people don't have that option. And so uh, platforms like Upwork and Rev are similar in that we aim to give people economic opportunity perspective of where they live and irrespective of other things like who you know and what school you went to. So that's kind of a commonality. Um, you know, Upwork is uh, frankly like eBay. Um, we modeled the company off of eBay. Um, I put together the early uh, fundraising materials for Upwork and, and with the founders, you know, pitched them to investors and said Upwork is going to be the eBay of remote work. And in fact, uh, the VC who first invested in eBay, a firm called Benchmark Capital, invested in Upwork, presumably because they agree with, with that assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, fast forward now, you know, more than a decade, um, Upwork has many people, people working on many categories, a lot of good things happening, but there are some challenges. Um, the challenges tend to be that if you go on a platform like like Upwork, just like eBay, the the talent is not curated in the way that you don't know for sure you're going to always get what you wanted. Um, some people on there are great. Some people on there are maybe less skilled and harder to manage. And when um, my team wanted to build a company around remote labor in late 2010, we thought to ourselves, we believe, I believe, that decades from now, hundreds of millions of people are going to wake up in the morning, get a cup of coffee, and walk into some room that has uh, floor-to-ceiling TV screens or, or, or monitors, rather, and say, what do I want to work on today? They're not going to get in the car and, and go wait in, in uh, traffic to go see the cube somewhere. They're going to take control of their lives, and they're going to work on whatever they want to work on. And they're going to have far more control because right now, today, most people's job is determined by uh, what companies have an office within 20 miles of my house 
And I think that is a very kind of 20th century way to look at uh, work. What's more likely, I think, is, is that more people are going to say, um, if I can work over the internet, that's way better because then I'm not limited to what's uh, within my you know, driving radius. And um, so we had that kind of vision at the start. And then we looked at um, Upwork as a platform and said, Upwork offers every service, but because they offer every service, they can't over-deliver on any one of those services. Um, they can't guarantee the customer quality. They can't guarantee that you'll get what you want. So we believed we should build a model um, that was more akin, not to eBay, but more to Amazon. And Amazon famously um, spent a couple of years uh, just selling books. And they have done far more for the book selling experience than probably anybody would have imagined in the late 90s. In the late 90s, it would have been hard to imagine the Kindle and Goodreads and all the other things that they've done to change the way books are sold and consumed and even created you know, with Kindle Drug Publishing. Mm-hmm. So when we raised money, we said we want to be the Amazon of remote work. And just as books got Amazon started, transcription is going to get us started. And we've actually just found it's a much deeper category than we expected. We've tried a number of services. And the way we think about it is um, we, we, we looked for types of work where there's a huge market, where lots of companies need it, where many people could do the work, and where software could make the workforce more productive. Now, to complete the contrast to Upwork, uh, we only are interested in offering services where the platform, Rev, the middleman, where we can put our stamp of approval and say, we're going to do a good job, we promise. Um, We're not buyer beware. You can trust that we'll do the job. If you go to Upwork, you can hire someone to transcribe for you. And the person may do a great job or a lousy job. You, you just don't know. And if, you ha- if you're in a rush, it's even harder. Or if you have a library, a back catalog of 100 recordings, well, and you may need to f- hire 100 people if you want to do it quickly. So it's mm-hmm. not practical for somebody that, that has you know, high demands for quality and speed. Um, we, looked at it, we looked at it and said, we're going to pick categories of work where we as a middleman can make sure that we're delivering good quality service so the customer doesn't have to worry about the quality and can rely on, on Rev as a brand to stand behind the quality. That That's, I'd say, one of the key things that are different um, between us and platforms like Upwork or, or Fiverr, who sure. is a, a similar platform that, that, that focuses on smaller projects. Can I ask you a question about about the guarantee, kind of putting your name on the products that you deliver and guaranteeing the result? Yeah. Um, as someone who's kind of run a service and a productized service type business, I know that that is easy to get kind of most of the way there, almost all of the way there, yeah. but tough to really bring home all the way. I'd be curious to know what kind of things you guys have, have kind of seen or run into and solved to to confidently be able to say, everybody that works for us is high quality and the products that we give you is always going to be top notch. Happy to go into it. Um, as you can imagine, we've seen everything under the sun, you know, uh, we've done, you know, millions of, of, of orders over time. And so we've had a lot of opportunity to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. So fortunately, somebody using us today is getting, you know, the benefit of, of all of our you know, years of learning from mistakes. Mm-hmm. So the real question you're asking is, how do you do quality control? And there's probably five parts to the answer, but I'll give you some of them. Uh, the first one is that if somebody wants to work on Rev, they have to take a series of tests uh, to show that they're a good candidate. Those tests include a test of English grammar, 
and uh, short work samples where we ask people to transcribe to uh, see how well they can hear, how well they can type, whether they, they do it accurately, um, and whether they can handle a number of surprises that we throw into the mix to keep people on their toes. If somebody passes that test, and roughly one-third of people pass it, maybe 40%, but, but, but less than half of people pass it, we don't give them uh, full access to REV. We, we put them in a status that we call rookie. So we have a three-level workforce. You can call it gamification. But if somebody works on REV, they start out as a rookie. If they do well, they become what we call a REVer. And if they do really well, they become what we call REVer Plus. Um, and, and I'll describe what those levels mean and what those words mean. But the idea is that the higher the level uh, gives people more options, more flexibility, more choice, and higher pay. When somebody is working as a rookie, we are carefully reviewing and, and, and grading. Uh, we have uh, graders who uh, check their work very carefully, and that helps us to vet whether they are, are good or not. And probably you know, half the people that work uh, as rookies make it to Rever. To make it, their work has to be accurate and reliable on time. I'm oversimplifying. Um, once somebody's a Rever, they can do any job uh, and they get a higher pay than rookies do. And we we keep tabs on their metrics. Uh, we have um, standards for. Uh, so again, we have you know graders who who take a look at their work, score it on a one to five basis. Uh, we have a lot of rules that go into what's a four, what's a five, what's a three, and people have to maintain a certain average to to work within the system. If they have a high average. Uh, and they do a high volume of work, then they become eligible for our, our elite tier, which we call Rever Plus. And Rever Plus has a number of benefits, but the main benefit is we give the Rever Plus folks early access to new jobs. So when when if you place an order right now, for I think about 90 minutes, the only Revers that see that job are the Rever Plus. So they get the most choice over what they work on. That is an incentive system that we created that we have found to be um, quite effective, and we think fair, that rewards people that do good work with a lot of options. And what we see is that uh, the folks that work on Rev really value choice. They want to choose when they work. They want to choose what they work on. Some people might enjoy transcribing a podcast about cars. Some might want to listen to a podcast about religion. Some might want to caption a movie. And by rewarding good performance with more choice, uh, we find that really makes people uh, value their time on the platform and also helps them to take their metrics uh, quite seriously. So there's other, there's a bunch of stuff we do behind that, behind the scenes using software to detect problems. But what I described are the major uh, incentive mechanisms that we built that we have found to be pretty effective. That's awesome. And I didn't mean to kind of get in too much of the weeds of, of how you run your business, but I think a big question on for anyone who's going to go hire a service is how do I know I can trust them and they're going to deliver a good quality so that I can then turn that around and present it to my audience. And just wanted to give you an opportunity to share a bit about kind of how you guys do quality control, how you structure the business to ensure that the products that you're, you know, that you're delivering back to us as a customer are, are really top notch. So, I mean, everything we hear is the quality on Rev is really solid. So it's really cool to hear kind of how you guys arrive at that. Cause I can, I know firsthand that, Ensuring that every time is is really difficult for in a service business. So that's very cool to hear. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. 
So for folks out there, you know, podcasters are listening to this podcast, uh, thinking about transcripts, what kind of thoughts would you have them or thought exercise would you have them go through or maybe next steps to, to kind of get involved in this if they're not already? Yeah, um, you know, we have a very testing-oriented culture. You know, again, it would benefit me to tell everybody that, oh, yeah, I just transcribe everything at all times. Um, but the reality is you have to see what, what works for your business. And, you know, this is um, the use of podcasts. You can think of it as a, as a marketing tool. Well, when we think about new marketing tactics, we love to do, you know, A-B tests and tests to just um, see whether things work or not. I would encourage people to start with some idea or hypothesis they want to test. Will podcasts, if you publish transcripts, will you get more traffic from, from SEO? Uh, will your readers engage more? Will your readers thank you for it? Um, think about what is it that you're hoping to to verify. Let's say that you think you might get SEO out of it. Maybe you will and maybe you won't, but maybe you should transcribe you know, 10 of your podcasts using, let's say, Temi, edit it slightly so it's so reasonably accurate, give it a couple months, look at your Google Analytics data, and see if you got more traffic to your blog and your site. Some tests like that will, I think, give you their confidence that you're seeing a return on investment. Now, you know, there's a great long, great quote. Is, is it, um, not everything that counts can be measured, not everything that can be measured counts. Right. So, you know, I, I do believe that the kinds of tests that I just described will understate the value of transcripts, but I do think it's a useful foundation. I would probably start with that. You might do that test to see, am I getting more traffic off of Google search because I put transcripts? Maybe you get a lot more and then, then your, your case is slam dunk. Maybe you get a slight lift, but your users are thanking you for it profusely, mm -hmm. right? And engaging with your content and everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Hard to put a dollar value on how much your users love you, right? But if you're, if you're feeling a lot of it, I think as the business owner, you'll probably know in your gut what to do. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I mean, we highly recommend that after people get kind of the basics covered of podcasting, that looking at really good show notes and then transcripts is a really good place to go to up that kind of, again, the digital footprint, that that impact that each podcast episode has, because repurposing your content is really easy like this, right? So just upload your file to Rev and they give you a transcript back in a day or so, and you upload that to your, to your WordPress site and you have an instantly, uh, you know, five or 6,000 word podcast episode post instead of 500 words. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way to go for sure. Yeah. And it, one other um, thing I should have mentioned, um, we've seen a lot of podcasters that are publishing episodes on YouTube. I mean, YouTube is just exploding with traffic and even some podcasters like Joe Rogan do it with video, but there's plenty of podcasters that put the episode up with no video and it still gets a lot of, a lot of traction. And so I think for those cases, um, having captions on YouTube is just really helpful. A lot of people use them. And uh, I'm reasonably confident that YouTube is, is going to use those captions to help uh, searchers find their way to the right to the right video. So I think that's one other reason to consider transcripts is to bolster your YouTube presence. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we just released a YouTube republishing feature up about a month ago, and it's been really popular. People, again, just repurposing their content automatically sends their podcast audio content and video form to YouTube, and then they can go kind of include things like transcripts or other other items with that. So yeah, it's fantastic, Jason. I, I love it. Awesome. So Jason, for folks who want to check out things, so it's just rev.com uh, to, to kind of check things out and get started? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, rev.com for human transcripts, temi.com for automated transcripts. We've had so much positive uh, reaction from our customers from the automated transcripts that we are going to be 
um, making them available via Rev.com in the next uh, six to nine months. So uh, before long, there'll be you know one one domain to rule them all. I would also say that that we we just love interacting with our customers and hearing from them, especially about um, what we can do better what's missing. So anybody who wants to give me any comments, positive, negative, good, bad, and ugly, uh, email jason at rev.com. We take everything very seriously and we love hearing from customers about uh, how we can improve. Awesome. Awesome. Jason Chicola, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Podcast Hackers. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. This goes a long way towards helping spread the word about the show to other podcasters just like you. Until next time, happy podcasting.